Welcome back to Not A Dollar More. My name is Shane Rogers. This is Australia's first podcast series dedicated to helping people who are wanting to stop or control their gambling, or for people who just want to know more about the potential harmful effects of gambling. I've experienced a gambling addiction myself, so I know all about it. In this episode, we'll be looking at what's happening with young men and gambling. This topic is very close to my heart, as betting on the horses and sport was how I wasted most of my time and money in my early 20s. For most of us, having a punt is pretty much considered normal these days, and it's so easy to do with that punting device in our pocket 24-7, so it's good to be aware of how much is too much. We'll be chatting with two young blokes about how their gambling got out of control, not just on sports and horse racing, but on the pokies too, and we'll also talk to Dr. Samantha Thomas, a gambling researcher, who will remind us of how much all that advertising and marketing is influencing your gambling. So first up, I'd like to welcome Mario. Thanks for joining us, Mario. How did your gambling start and what type of gambling did you do? Uh, It started all around the age of 16. I found the TAB, had a goatee, so it was easy to uh, fake that I was 18. And I started just on betting 50 cent bets on, um, you know, pretty much anything that moved. And yeah, the, the beast grew from there pretty quickly. Yeah, right. And then it sort of later on moved to sports bet and then uh, multi-betting later on. But yeah, initially it was the horses. So it was small bets and then they grew larger? Yeah, it started off 50 cent dollar bets. Yep. Then I got a sniff of a couple of wins and then from those wins it would become sort of $20 bets. And then yeah, and towards the end it was ridiculous amounts of money, yeah. Take us through a typical week when things started to get out of control of how you're gambling, where you're gambling, you know, what were your thoughts? Yeah, well, I suppose early on in the week, it was like if I just had a little bit of spare money, say back when I was 16, 17, 10 bucks or five bucks, I'd just sneak down there during the week. But then sort of as the weekend got closer, Friday, especially on Saturdays, I'd sort of save almost for the for the punt. Instead of saving for things that I should have been saving for, I'd sort of okay, let's let's get a bit of a kitty up here for the weekend. And then as things got on and I got a bit older, it was more intense towards the weekend. So Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday sort of thing, I would barely even have money to eat, buy coffee and that sort of stuff. And again, the uh, weight of money for the weekends, sort of Thursday night, Friday, would consume every dollar I had. And then uh, the cycle continued. So, Well, I was the same because Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday... Mate, I struggled to fill my car up at times, so I can certainly uh, feel where you're going with that. Yeah, my first girlfriend, I think, left me because I ran out of petrol about 40 times. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, there you go. (laughs) So at what point did you realise you had a problem? I think I always knew I had a problem, but I didn't care. So that was the main thing. Like um, I knew I probably had a problem from early days, but why should I care? I don't have anything to cover. I don't ha- didn't have many expenses. I had a small car loan. It was only when things started to get serious with the family and um, mortgage and all that sort of stuff that uh, you know I found it, it hit me that I had to do something about it. So the care factor for a lot of that 16 years that I was gambling was I don't care that I got a problem. What did you like about gambling? What was the lure? It was just the rush, uh, the adrenaline rush and... I'd like to think I could outsmart my mates. You know, I was a bit better punter than them. I was a bit of a competition sort of thing. Yeah, it was a pride thing as well in the end. Like I could pick a bigger odds winner than they could and just that initial rush of heartbeat and the adrenaline running through the body, that there's nothing better. 
Some people say that to start a gambling addiction, that perhaps there were other parts of your life that weren't that great. Did you find that? Yeah, I didn't realise that until I went to the counsellor and they made me aware of something that happened when I was a young fellow and I had a bit of a falling out with my dad. I wasn't li- really living up to the expectations that he would have liked and I ran away to gambling. And I didn't know that until I was 32 or 33. I had no idea, to be honest. And um, I just thought, oh, I just like gambling and probably shut it off the reasons or didn't like to think about it. So, um, yeah, it was covering up a problem. Yeah, right. So going back to the lures, there's a lot of advertising out there now, sports betting, races. Did you experience much where you thought that the advertising was having an effect on the amount you gambled? Uh, The advertising, personally, I don't think affected me. I think it's more dangerous for the guys that have just started gambling or not gambled at all. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The lure of the free bets, the lure of winning big and your mate with your mates at the tab those ads where you know everything's great and everyone's hugging each other and you're winning big and it's more for the guys who are just getting the sniff i see so many guys on site now that have got their phones at smoko they're looking at their phones it's all about punting it's all about races sport and they're betting on sport that they don't even follow it's 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 absolutely sad really when you think about it the amount of time because I always talk about the time. I sort of, I'm not overly concerned about the amount of money I spent, but the amount of time that I could have been spending doing other things in my life, traveling as a you know young guy in his 20s, it's really sad to see these young guys getting caught up with the phones and everything like that. Yeah, absolutely. I can remember back when I started betting on golf, that took so much time because I would study every tournament I would spend hours studying and on the computer when my wife went to bed. Then the tournament goes for four days and that often was late at night, early in the morning. And by Sunday when the tournament finished, I was a, I was a tired emotional wreck, especially if my player missed a shot by an inch to win a few grand or something like yeah. that. The typical week for me was Wednesday night, get paid, and then I would talk myself into a couple of pots down the pub which really meant gamble my brains out until I pretty much had nothing left. So it was, alcohol was a way of getting me there. And then when I was there, it was a way of kind of um, keeping me there as well. So I would often drink more than a couple of pots and then things got out of control. My bets would go up as I got more pissed. Did you the same or... When I drank along with the gambling, my betting would maybe be, I'd say, five times more aggressive, especially after that sweet spot of like four or five pots. And I would just, I'd, I'd, I'd leave a lot of money in the car and I'd grab 200, bet, go back to the car, grab another 200, bet, and then it just, I just made all these trips. So I tried to, to limit it, but once the alcohol kicked in, there was really no stopping it. People with gambling problems talk about hitting rock bottom. So almost the end of their gambling problem in a way, or perhaps just a time where they've realised that this is getting out of control. Can you take us to a point where you felt rock bottom was? Yeah, I think rock bottom for me was the weeks leading up to where I first quit. Marriage was average at best. My business was very ordinary. I had no continuous work. I was working for probably half the rate that I should have, and I thought that was a... um, 
a product of the gambling. So my standard was quite poor because I was rushing everything. Um, I was overweight, unhappy, and I only cared about one thing, and that was the punt. And I think yeah, had it gone on a bit longer, it would have cost me my marriage. I remember my truck being broken down on the, on the nature strip for about six months. I couldn't fix it, and I borrowed my grandpa's truck. And that was another sort of telling factor. I was like, you can't even fix your work truck. Like, stop ignoring the elephant in the room. So how did you get help? About three years before I quit, I went to Gambler's Help. I just said to them, I just want to manage the problem. I don't want to quit because I love it too much. And that worked for a few weeks. I had a $30 a week allowance, which I found horrifying. And then I tried to up it to 100 It would eventually blow out. So I couldn't just manage it. In the end, I just did it myself. I just took a step back from my life, had a look at it. I was 32. I thought, you can still probably save this. You're not a spring chicken, but you know you can still sort of turn this around. And yeah, I, I had to. Otherwise, it was going to end pretty quickly. Did your wife know how big a problem it was? She did, I think. I thought I hid it well, but then she'd check my golf bag or the lame hiding spots that I had. And um, she would always find, she goes, oh, that's funny, I found $500 worth of tickets. I remember one distinct moment under my car mat, I used to keep a lot of my tickets, which wasn't a very smart place. And um, she goes, okay, give me your keys. And then she put my daughter in my arms, it was only about one, and um, went out to the car. And I just remember looking, if she bends over and looks under that mat, I'm in a bit of trouble here. And yeah, she found thousands of dollars worth of tickets. So I got busted pretty badly there and lying, and lying became second nature really yeah I always remember the times when I hit it from my partner and she would go into my car or perhaps I would be in the car with her when I first started it up and it'd always be on the racing channel and it'd be really loud <laughs> yeah. so yeah <laughs> um you think you're hiding it but generally you yeah know, they, they know what's going on so <laughs> yeah been there <laughs> yeah gambling often involves gambling with mates Initially, generally, too. Did yeah. you gamble with mates? or? Yeah, we had a group, yeah. and we sort of separated from the pack at around 17, sort of. Um, there's about four of us, and we were just the punting group, and all the other guys only put up with it for a couple of months, and then they, we sort of separated a bit. I remember going to Caulfield, the excitement, like we were just so excited. And then still now, these guys still punt together, and obviously I'm still very good mates with a lot of these guys. It just makes it a little bit difficult sometimes. That was all about the group, uh, being in the group, and it was so much better with your mates. We loved it. Did you have to cut any friends or distance yourself from any friends once you decided that that was it, enough was enough? No, I actually heard uh, on the radio that um, one guy that quit, he said you had to get rid of everyone that was part of your gambling life. Distance yourself from them because um, that was the way to come clean. But I've got a lot of friends that... I gambled with and I grew up with from high school and I'm still really good mates with them. I actually, one works for me at the moment, so I still manage to separate the two. So you don't have to give up your friends at all. You just have to make a personal choice. Yeah, right. We spoke about drinking and gambling. Once you stopped gambling, did you have to change your drinking habits? Um, I still drank probably as regularly as I did when I was a gambler. I just chose where I drank uh, was definitely not at a venue which uh, had a TAB facility. But no, definitely that didn't change at all because I still love a beer now. But um, that, it's not like you have to, if you give up gambling, you have to give up you know things that are associated with it. Did you lead your mates more towards 
drinking at places that didn't have TABs and that associated with them? I tried to. <laughs> yeah. But um, no, it was hard to lure them away. So some, we'd have to have a little bit of separation there at the start because they would always be trying to drink at venues. And even now, I'm, I can actually still go to a venue and um, have a drink and just watch watch these guys lose their money. And um, that's fine. I can, I, can, I can live with that. And, um, yeah, we still have a drink as regularly as we used to, yeah. When I stopped... I started playing golf or took up golf, which I regret quite a lot now because I haven't got much better after the six years. (laughs) But filling that void, you hear a lot about coming through the gambling addiction and having to fulfill or fill that void. Did you experience that? Yeah, I I was a bit shocked to the void that it left. So I I would probably, as a guest, say there was 70% of my life a void was there initially. And... um. I always thought as a kid uh, a marathon would be too hard to run. Uh, it was 42Ks, and I was sort of doing running bits and pieces here and there, and the uh, Melbourne Marathon was coming up in October, so I had like three months, and I thought I need to really focus heavily on something. So I aimed everything towards that, and um, running was a huge help. Also golf as well, and same, yeah. I haven't got much better. Yep. Um, just other things I dedicated more to, time to work obviously you know rebuilding a bad business I suppose the other thing was I was shocked that what do you do with your time now like walk do people walk their dogs do people wash their cars I thought that initially that's quite boring but um that's just what people do so I just thought when I was a gambler that those sort of everyday things were pretty lame and um, my car was pretty dirty <laughs> <laughs> Um, so what's Gamble Free like now? Um, initially, it was a bit of a shock because I thought everything was going to turn around very quickly. And we actually, ironically, had the most problem with my marriage after I quit the next next two years. So, But now I, I just feel alive and I'm like enjoying life for what it is. Even simple things, you know, watching my kids grow up, like I don't know if I would have put the time into that, that if I was on the punt, I don't think I would have given that the validity just to watch those then and my business i just feel alive and i'm i'm a lot fitter and happier and healthier by no means am i perfect like i've still got my flaws like everybody else but it's me it's not the gambling you know running me it's me we're getting all our interviewees to give one tip so what's one tip that you can give a young male out there now so say things are out of control for them one thing that they can take away after listening to this that you think? Um, I think once they're out, spiral out of control, it's quite hard to get back. And the statistics say that. But early on, I think it needs to be caught earlier on. So you need to identify your personality because I'm a very addictive sort of person. So I can't leave a whole box of mint slices in the cupboard because they'll all Mate, go. Exactly the same, yeah. <laughs> um, but if you, a bit of identification, a bit of knowing your strengths and weaknesses, if you could sort of just be on top of that. Um, and then if you're starting to do it, and I suppose the old cliche, if it's no longer fun, if it's, you know, or you're chasing your losses, there is help out there. I mean, when I quit, probably the help wasn't as good, but there's there's a lot of people out there that can help. And I suppose the shame of hiding it is also another thing that people experience. So you've got to reach out to someone and um, you can come back. There's no doubt. I mean, I was a severe gambler and same with yourself and we've come back. So there's hope. But you've got to not be too proud. You've got to go out there and um, seek some help. 
Mario, thanks for joining us, mate, on Not A Dollar More. Beautiful. Thank you. You're listening to Not A Dollar More, and in this episode, we're talking about what's going on with young men and gambling. Next up, we have Associate Professor of Public Health at Deakin University, Samantha Thomas. Samantha has completed a lot of research on gambling, especially with young males. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Sports betting advertising is everywhere. It's not just an ad between your favourite show or game. It's during the game. It's before the game. It's after the game. And that's having a lot of effect on young males. Can you share with us your research and what you've found? Yeah, sure. So when I first started researching in this area, I actually started because I took my two little boys to a game of footy and they started talking about the odds that were on the big screen. And for me, having a background in public health, the first thing I thought was, oh my God, this is like tobacco all over again. When I was growing up as a kid, what we would see when we watched sport were the ads for tobacco companies all around the ground when we were watching cricket and so on. So the first thing I did with my research team is we actually went out to those sporting grounds and we sat all around the stadiums and we clicked every time we saw an ad roll over. And what we found was actually not only was there a lot of advertising at the ground, but there was also advertising uh, during the broadcasts of those matches as well. And I guess what we've seen since then is, number one, we've seen huge numbers of bookies come into Australia. So I think now we have, you know, about 24 or 25 bookmakers in Australia all trying to compete for a bit of that market share. And what we've seen because of that and because we don't have great restrictions around gambling advertising is that our games and particularly our sporting matches are saturated with gambling ads now. And so what we've been doing is trying to work out what impact that has on young men in terms of influencing their gambling attitudes and behaviours. And what effect is it having? Well, I guess in the early days, what we heard was that they were talking about the game in terms of the odds. And a lot of the marketing was very much based on the odds, the odds of your team winning and so on. So that was the hook for a, a lot of the advertising that we saw. We also saw in those early, early days these kind of calls to get out of your betting venue in the community and actually to go in those days onto your laptop. Now, of course, we've got the apps on our mobile phones. So 24 hours a day, seven days a week, that becomes your gambling venue. We've seen a really big change in the marketing recently. So a couple of years ago, we saw lots of ads where there were blokes in the pub all betting together through their phones and so on, or at barbecues betting through their phones. Now what we see from the bookies is a lot of deal-based advertising. So this might be familiar to a lot of the people who listen to this, that if your team kicks the first goal but goes on to lose the match, they'll give you your money back up to a certain amount uh, amount of dollars. Or if you put a certain amount of money into your account, they'll match that. And that, we think, is really problematic in getting people to bet more than they normally would and on things that they normally wouldn't bet on because there's this idea that the risks are reduced because of that. So that marketing we're really concerned about. A lot of the young males that we speak to say that the inducements of um, you know $200, for every 200 I put in, I get 200 back. And mm-hmm. it just seems like a bit of a no-brainer for these young males to go and use these companies because of the fact that it just looks so easy. Yeah, and so when we talk to young men, there's a few things that come up around, specifically around the marketing. 
So I guess the first one is this perception that somehow you can play the bookies off against each other, that, you know, if they don't give you a good deal, you'll be able to go to that one and they'll give you a good deal. So that's the first one. And of course, you know, ultimately with these companies, the way that they make money is is through people losing. So really, there's this kind of strange thinking around the fact that you can actually play them off against each other. I guess the second thing is that um, a lot of young men that we speak to don't fully understand the terms and conditions around around those inducement promotions. This is just a form of marketing. It's a really effective one in terms of getting people to gamble. But behind those very simplistic promotions that you see, $50 cash back and so on, there are a whole lot of terms and conditions that mean that either that money's not really yours um, or you have to turn it over a, a number of times before you can take the money out. This is what we call a nudge strategy. So all it's doing is giving you little incentives and nudging you to continue your gambling. We normally find that young men talk to us about getting those when we their account's gone cold or you know they haven't bet for a while, they're taking a break, suddenly those little nudges come back. And so really it's not just all that marketing you see on your TV that has an impact, but also all that stuff that you get when you sign up to the apps as well that encourages you to bet. Are there other things other than marketing that might encourage or influence young males to gamble? I guess one of the things that's most interesting is what we call the normalisation of of betting or sports betting. So that this is something that you do if you're a loyal fan of whichever code you support, the AFL or the NBA or the NRL. But also it's something that you do in social situations. So it's more socially acceptable to be gambling with your mates. So what we've seen when we talk to young men is is this really interesting impact of peer behaviours on gambling. With betting, what we've heard from young men in particular is that they do feel that they're not part of their peer group if they're not having a bet. So if all your mates are in a punters club, for example, or betting on the outcome of a footy match in the weekend, then you feel like you have to do that to be part of your group. And I think for young men, sometimes betting is just this natural point of conversation. You know, if you don't have anything else to talk about, you can bet on what you think the outcomes of the game will be. Um, As you know, we've got a 24-7 punting device in our pocket. So many opportunities to gamble. What can our listeners take from your research? What might help and what can they be aware of? I think the number one thing that that we always say to everyone is that marketing is there to sell things. And for this industry, in order for them to make money, people have to lose. So be really aware of the marketing and that what sits behind that may not be uh, as clear as what it seems in in the promotions. Um, I guess the second thing I think is a really important issue, which is around stigma. So when we create environments in which this is so normalised, that this is just something or creates a perception that everyone is doing this, so I think that then becomes very difficult for people to um, ask for some support if they find that they're getting into trouble with this product, especially, I think, when we have so many messages, um, you know, from government organisations and sitting in those ads that tell you that um, you should be able to gamble responsibly. That kind of creates this perception that this is a product that you should be able to stay in control with, you should set your limits, you know, don't go over them and so on. And for many people who have experienced harm from gambling and particularly from these products, that's a lot easier said than done in many cases. Samantha Thomas, thanks very much for joining us. Thank you. 
Our final guest is Lockie, who, like Mario and I, had issues betting on sport and horses in our early 20s. He also had some big losses on the pokies too. Welcome, Lockie. Can you tell us how it started for you? It started off just with mates. It wasn't something I did straight off the bat turning 18. It wasn't in my family. I'd never seen my mum or dad gamble or anyone really that I was associated with. I can remember being at schoolies, being at a sports club and putting a couple of bucks in pokies and just completely not understanding how it worked and thinking it was dumb pretty much. And so probably when I was 21, I was sort of was living with a couple of mates and there was a pub nearby that had pokies and a tab. So that's kind of how it started, I suppose, just going down there for a couple of beers on a Saturday or Sunday and it sort of escalated from there, I suppose. So it was the social part of it that you liked about it the most? Yeah, yeah, it was a nice venue. It was walking distance to home, had cheap beers a couple of times a week and wasn't particularly busy, so it was right up my alley. So when did it start from the social, having a few beers, a few bets, to sort of maybe starting to realise that oh, things are getting maybe a bit out of control? Probably in the early days, I would have classified myself as probably a binge gambler in that you know I'd have a blowout every couple of months and gamble more than I had uh, allowed for. Probably really escalated for me, I started working away from home. It sort of escalated from boredom, I suppose. So betting alone? Yeah, it was something I'd never done and I was away and um, yeah, I just went for dinner at a place that had pokies and was by myself and put a few bucks in and then once I'd sort of crossed that, I guess, barrier of gambling by yourself, it just sort of became a habit, I suppose, a part of what I did. What was it that you liked about it so much? Initially, it was for like camaraderie, I suppose, like doing it with your mates. I had some other stuff going on probably as well. I didn't like my job. I didn't like what I was doing particularly. So it kind of became a form of escapism for me as well. So that was more probably pokies. It was something I did when I was in a bad mood or had a fight or just wasn't feeling great about myself, just go and zone out at the pokies for a couple of hours. So was it more pokies or was it more horses for you? Big losses was pokies. Probably regularity was, I reckon, 50-50 probably. But losing control was more pokies for me, yeah. I'd, like I'd chuck a couple of bets on horses or you know, greyhounds and stuff like that, but the big losses were, were pokies, yeah. Yeah, and you probably know a lot more about the pokies now than when you were playing them. Mm. What do you think, looking back with the pokies, do you sort of think, oh, yeah, that kind of maybe sucked me in or, gee, I didn't really realise how much of an effect that was having on me? Yeah. Just the train of thought that you have around them, that it's going to happen. I reckon one night I pumped 500 bucks into a machine and just going, it's got to pay out. Like, how can it possibly not be going to pay out? I had two symbols, you know, for the feature. I only needed one more and it's happened 15 times. It's like, it's got to happen. And then you sort of learn a bit about the way they work. You know, they're not stupid. They're designed the way that they are is that they come up more often, those two symbols, so you think you're close. The other one's um, not playing a machine that someone's just won on because it's paid out, which makes me laugh now. <laughs> so gambling advertising, did that have a big effect on how much you gambled? I think it did in terms of the amount of accounts I opened. I think I probably would have had five or six yeah. sports betting and you know horse accounts. You know, you only need one probably. So I guess from that perspective, it did. The advertising 
I found really difficult when I was made the decision to stop gambling. I initially decided I was going to stop just before Spring Carnival. So, if, you know, that's when they really hammer the advertising and I was working near Southern Cross Station and get off the train and there's literally every rafter that was available in Southern Cross Station had Bet365 massive posters hanging down. Right. So I found it really difficult to escape that advertising. It took me a long time to be able to watch footy and enjoy it yeah, um, with, without having a bet on it, especially first goal. Every time you signed on to a sports betting company, yep. you generally had an app for it on your phone? Yep. So people, I think people have all these apps and they sign up to them all so that when these companies do have the special offers, they can easily get to them and they won't close them because they never know if that company is going to have another special offer. So they kind of try and utilize all the sports betting companies. But I kind of look at it like having them on your phone, like most of us are addicted to our phones anyway, being able to see them every time you open your phone must be really hard. What do you reckon? Yeah, and I think as well, even you know, if you're not doing much on a Friday night and you've had a beer or two and you're watching the footy and you open your phone and you look and there's an app and it's just so easy, just so accessible. And I used to delete them, delete yeah, them, and yeah. then footy was about to start, quickly download one of them, yeah. jump, you know, and go again. It's just the way that it's advertised you can't watch the footy and not associate it with gambling like what are the odds of so-and-so winning it's the whole train of thought and the normalization of it is is around the odds of the teams it's yeah totally. really difficult so you talk about having a couple of beers yep. you know you sit down having a couple of beers and you're watching the first goal scorer or whatever if you keep having a few more beers did that ever lead to more bets yeah, definitely. And that was one of my issues as well was alcohol. Pretty much all my big blowouts went hand in hand with, with drinking. You know, you reduce inhibitions. It always pretty much was followed having a couple too many beers. So I definitely can see the, the relation between the two. Did you have to look at your drinking after you stopped gambling? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so it's something I've made a conscious decision to work towards and and if I know that I'm I'm going to be drinking heavily yep I'll limit my access to money yeah okay yep even that now sounds pretty smart mm. so you tried to stop well you stopped and then were there relapses how did it all work that whole sort of stopping part of your life yeah so I went to see my GP reasonably early on um just cuz I was having some issues yeah around depression and, and alcohol but I also knew that I had a problem with gambling as well and that was one of the, the things that I mentioned to the doctor and they referred me to a psychologist and just didn't click and he didn't really have a great understanding well he didn't have any understanding I don't think of gambling so just telling someone to stop doesn't help someone that wants to stop so that was sort of that was one crack I suppose so I thought I'll just see if I can do it myself so took me a little while further along to yeah. um, give another crack. So, yeah. So how many times do you think you had a, you a, had a crack? A relapse? Yeah. Oh, more times than I can count on my fingers. Yeah. Yeah. Were there times where you thought, I just, this will be with me for the rest of your life? Or Yeah, yeah. Um, the amount of times I would have woken up on a Sunday morning just thinking this is 
like this can't be it. Like what you know, this is my life. I'm just never gonna have any money. I'm just always gonna feel like crap, pretty much. Yeah. Um, just self-loathing is you just you can't believe that you've done it again, um, and you're just so disappointed with yourself. And yeah, it's really really hard. Definitely, there was points where I I didn't think there was any way out. Basically, was there a point where you really hit rock bottom? Yeah, there was. Uh, basically, after a, another Saturday night of gambling and drinking far too much, woke up and couldn't get my head straight, basically. Just, you know, thoughts going around and around your head and, um, yeah, basically just felt like I didn't want to be alive anymore. So, yeah, got taken to the emergency department and went through some stuff there and... Um, yeah, went home with the partner and had a few chats with mum and dad and sort of just mapped out what I was going to do with myself, basically, because, yeah, just couldn't keep going the way it was going or I was, yeah, not going to have a particularly enjoyable life, so. So you told the family and worked out a bit of a plan. Yep. Then what? So I had contact a gambler's help before that um so i just started seeing a counselor near me through that and that was a massive massive help for me i really felt understood i had people in my life that i knew cared but you know just having that extra support i I went to a financial counselor um which was a big help as well a lot of people um freak out about going to see a counsellor, yep. uh, maybe even a financial counsellor. It's not that bad, is it? Yeah. I actually came to the point where I was quite looking forward to going to see my counsellor. Just to talk about, it doesn't have to be about the gambling. And, and I think there's also, once you stop gambling, there's a lot of stuff you've got to deal with outside of the gambling. Well, that's what I found anyway. A lot of feelings and emotions that you probably haven't dealt with properly. Yeah, it's, I can't speak highly enough of it, to be honest with you. I w- wouldn't be, yeah, where I am today if it wasn't for that. So you stopped gambling. What filled the void for you? Probably reconnecting with people was a, a big part of it. I isolated myself from friends and family. I didn't really you know, ruin any relationships or anything like that through my gambling, but it's difficult if you haven't really talked to people for a, you know, a year yeah. or two and you haven't. Even when you're talking to them, you're thinking about gambling, so you're not really you don't have any like meaningful relationships really. So that was something I yeah I I did I just started to look after myself better. So regular like exercise, try to go to the gym every day at least, or every second day if not. You know you can you can fill your time so much. Um, yeah, like reading books, going to concerts. I hadn't read a book for probably two years. So when you isolated yourself, did yep. you have to isolate yourself from any people that were gambling as well? When I tried to stop? Yeah, when you tried to stop. Yeah, I had a couple of really good good mates that I used to gamble with a lot. The conversation I had with them wasn't, oh, I've got a problem. It was, I just, I need a break. No, I'm not I'm not gambling. So that was hard, especially if you, you know, like, yeah, Saturday mornings, what numbers have you got for the quaddy? Yeah, and you don't have that yep. conversation. And you sort of, there's a little bit of, for me, there's a bit of a like a lag period where I didn't know what to talk to them about. Yeah. And these are like my really good mates because I, it was just consumed so much of our conversation was about gambling. So, um, 
Yeah. Yeah, there's um, a bit of a funny story of my own. I used to gamble heaps on a Thursday night. So go drink heavy, um, gamble, generally lose all my money um, if I hadn't already lost it on the Wednesday night. And I used to wake up Friday with a splitting headache with absolutely no money. So that kept going and going and going. And then when I stopped, I still woke up with a headache with all this guilt that I'd that I'd lost all my money and drank heavily the night before. And it, it took about two or three months before I stopped waking up because I actually hadn't done anything wrong. So yeah. it's funny the way the brain works. I can remember the first weekend that I didn't gamble. Because, and that was, you know, I'd gambled every weekend for years and feeling quite, yeah, quite strange. And I used to wake up on the Saturday morning, I reckon six, which I'd, I'd, you know, during the working week, I'd be up at seven, seven thirty, yep. and I wake up at six on a Saturday, and I couldn't figure out why. And then I realised it was because I'd wake up, go grab the paper, straight into the form, read yeah, up right. on on Twitter, read up the tips. It's just you know, like my mind was going already, and I was already had that nervous adrenaline of, of putting a putting a bet on. And now that you gamble free, what's life like in comparison? It's pretty different. Um, just feel a lot better about myself, a lot happier. I've been to Europe the last two years for over a month each time. Yeah, it's just, it's yeah, really good. It's yeah, fun. Good. It's um, enjoyable. Which that's is, good. Yeah. So we get to my favorite part of the podcast, a helpful piece of advice that people could take away with them, Lockie. I guess there's a couple of things that I did, practical things. First one probably seems like quite an obvious thing is cancelling my betting accounts. It's not particularly difficult. I think there's a link on each one. I think every website's different, but if you say you're going to cancel it, they pretty much have to cancel it. So just removing that, you're not getting the, the emails telling you what's on for the weekend. It's just to like, protect yourself a little bit, I suppose. Another thing I did was I basically just restricted my access to, to money. I know probably it not everyone's in a position where they can rely on someone else to do it to help them out with that, but I was pretty lucky that, yeah, I basically didn't control finances for a little bit because I just needed a circuit breaker from, yeah, myself. Um, so I would, if I was going out, I'd just take a small amount of cash, what I thought I would need for the night. And if that was what I spent, it's probably a good thing because it stopped me from drinking too much as well. So um, that's probably, yeah, two things that I did to try and help myself a bit. That's great advice, mate. Thanks for coming in. Pleasure. And, um, Good luck in the future. Thank you very much. Cheers, mate. So, a take-home message for us younger blokes. Think about how much you're spending. Is it really a win? What else are you losing in the meantime? And be especially aware of all those inducements on offer. Do they really pay out in the end? You can check out our website for more information about harmful gambling and all the different types of help available at notadollarmore.org.au. Another great place to start is the Gambler's Help Number for free and confidential advice on 1-800-858-858. This podcast has been produced by Banyul Community Health. My name is Shane Rogers, and you've been listening to Not A Dollar More. We've got eight other episodes to check out for more stories of problem gambling, ways to get help, and what others have done to find their way out of the gambling fold. Bye for now.